Dear fellow redeemed, we consider our reading from 1 Kings chapter 17. And that's where we'll start. 1 Kings chapter 17 has a number of questions that, that you have to wonder about. First of all, here's this guy named Elijah. He's living in an area called Gilead. You might be familiar with it from the old hymn, There is a Balm in Gilead. Gilead is to the right of the Sea of Galilee, if you're looking at a map. And Gilead is basically the Texas of, of Israel. It's the, the cattle ranching country. And we don't hear anything about Elijah until we get to 1 Kings chapter 17. And God says to Elijah, all right, go to the most powerful man in the area, the general to the army, and tell him that there isn't going to be any rain. Tell him that the God of heaven and earth is going to bring starvation, famine, and economic destruction on his nation. And you think of that, that Israel has a series like six months of rain and six months of dry. And it kind of goes in a cycle. It's a you know, Mediterranean climate. And they've had their six months of dry. They're waiting for the first rain. And God says, all right, it's going to be three more years. If they went another six months without rain, you're talking everybody is counting the grain left in their pantry and wondering, how are we going to feed everybody? Three years without rain is economic destruction, starvation, your kids sitting across from you at the table with hungry bellies and hope in their eyes, and all you have to offer is, I got nothing but maybe tomorrow. And so Elijah gets up from, you know, if you picture him, you know, riding a horse and wearing a 10-gallon hat, he leaves Tishbe and Gilead, and he goes to King Ahab, and he walks in, and he says, Oh, dear king, by the way, because of your idolatry, there's going to be no rain. Famine, starvation, destruction. What was he thinking? And what was he feeling? During the walk in, during the walk out, I know what I would be thinking. If I walked into that palace, I'd be hoping if I just hit him hard enough, then I'll have time to get away. If I hit him hard enough with what I've got to say, then he'll be in shock and I'll be able to get out before somebody catches me. That's kind of the first question. What is he feeling? What is he thinking? The second question, what's the deal with rain? Well, we know if they don't have rain, they're going to starve, but it's more than that. That because of their dependence on the rain, they had gods, all sorts of gods who promised fertility. All sorts of gods who will say, well, if, as long as you sacrifice to the right god, the proper god, then that god will send rain. Or if you sacrifice to this other god, then your flocks and your herds will multiply that much faster. They will carry their calves, and you'll have multiple calves, like two or three, instead of just one. 
as long as you sacrifice to the proper God, then you'll have enough food in your belly. And most of Israel went along with it. The ten northern tribes, the the kingdom of Israel, they were never believers after the split between north and south. They never had a good king. The southern kingdom of Judah, the two that remained with God, they had a couple of good kings. But overall, the entire nation is just thinking to themselves, I don't want to be hungry. And all it takes is just a little compromise and then life is fine. All it takes is a little compromise. My neighbor says um, that I should put a little bale statue in my garden, and then, and then my garden will grow very well, and the weeds won't grow. All it takes is just in the corner of my property, what's the big deal? It's just a statue. You and I know that that statue isn't a god. All it takes is um, we know when the holidays are for the bale worshipers, you know, the, the god of the thunder. And as long as I show up for the community festivals, they'll have it in the city square, and I need to make an appearance so that I'm not a bad citizen. As long as I show up there, um, then my neighbors won't be unhappy with me. But if I don't go to that festival, they're going to blame me. And it will be so much easier so much easier for my daily life. If I just, I'll show up for a little while, I'll put in an appearance, I won't sacrifice. Well, maybe I'll help pay for a sacrifice, but it's, you know, low, you know 10 bucks here or there, not a big deal anyway. Who would, who would care about that? But my life would be so much easier if I just went. What's the big deal? Maybe you can see where this is going. And here comes Elijah. Elijah who will spend the rest of his life under the threat of death. Elijah who says, you know what, King Ahab, we're talking famine, starvation, destruction, and despair. Because there's going to be no rain for for three and a half more years. And he tries to get out. And God says, don't worry, I'll hide you away. There's a little, there's a little uh, spring and a little stream, and I'll send the scavenger birds to bring you breakfast. We'll eventually hear how Ahab responds. King Ahab, um, who is promoting, he says, you know, don't even bother with that Yahweh God, the God of the Israelites. Just worship this Baal God, the God of thunder. We don't know a whole lot about what he responds because it would happen there between verse 1 and 2. We don't hear what Ahab says back to him other than, other than perhaps shrugging his shoulders and saying, well, good luck because we worship the God of the thunder and you can't do anything about it. And you see the tension, the contrast between here is Elijah coming and saying, death, destruction, repent or die. And Ahab saying, okay, go on your way. But what happens next? God takes him to this Kareth ravine, this little ravine, and there's a little brook there, and God says, I'll send the scavenger birds to bring you some meat and bread in the morning and in the evening. 
um, doing whatever it is that, that ravens do, but actually contrary to their nature, that they aren't going to be bringing him the half-rotting carcasses that they find on the roadside, but maybe, you know, raiding wherever they find food. And the first day is fine. The first month is probably fine, as Elijah is camping out there by the Kareth Ravine, not worrying about his cattle and his herds because they're going to be gone anyway. We don't hear that he's married or that he has children, and so it's just him. The first month is fine, but then there's no more rain. The streams aren't replenished up in the hillsides, and the creek shrinks to a brook. The stream shrinks to a trickle. His family, his friends, his community have disowned him. Did you hear what he said to King Ahab? And if you are upset because your crops aren't growing and your kids are hungry, it's Elijah's fault. And it's all well and good as long as he's got food and then the stream slows down. And that brings us together to our gospel reading from Matthew chapter 14. Because it's a little bit more apparent there in Matthew chapter 14. That here is this, this group of 5,000, 15,000, 35,000. You know, if every family had the U.S. average of 1.9 children, um, then you're talking like 12,000 people. If they had something of a more historical average of seven children, then you're talking closer to 35 to 50,000 people. That Jesus feeds with one boy's lunch. You know, think of sending your child up to school with a peanut butter sandwich and some carrots and a cookie, basically that. Or you send them up to school with a, a Lunchable, you know, that um, pre-made, assemble-your-own cheese and cracker thing. Jesus takes the equivalent of this boy's Lunchable, and there's no food in the rest of this massive multitude, and there's no McDonald's nearby, and Jesus takes this one boy's lunch, and he has the disciples distribute it, And there at the end, these disciples who said, we don't know what to do, there's no food here, we're all going to die. Each of those disciples is left holding a a basket of leftovers. And the lesson is very apparent that they were in crisis, but where Christ is, there's no crisis. That they were in crisis, they're like, we're hungry, we need food. Um, Jesus, you can provide what we need, so can we have some? And the lesson for you and me is very apparent that Jesus provides for all that we need. You know this um, from the first article to the Apostles' Creed. I believe that God made me and all that exists. I believe that he still graciously provides clothing and shoes, food and drink, house and home, spouse and children, land, cattle, and all that I own and all that I need to keep my body in life. And we know that. And that's a simple, easy thing to believe when the pantry is full and the refrigerator has, it doesn't have any more space and the water is running out of the tap. But it's a totally different consideration when you're sitting by a brook for the beginning of the third year and the ravens are late and the brook has a little bit of mud at the bottom but not much else. And it would be so simple. So simple to dial it back just a little bit. 
Come on, Elijah. You don't have to. You don't have to tell him it's not going to rain for three years. Elijah, just, you know, maintain your flocks and your herds and provide for yourself because Elijah, um, you know it's not going to rain, but you don't have to tell King Ahab. He's not going to listen anyway. Elijah, just take care of yourself. Watch out for number one. Elijah, if you go to King Ahab, your neighbors will hear about it, your family will hear about it, your community will hear about it, and your name will be Mud. Kind of like the mud in the stream. Elijah, all it takes, we would have rain again and you would have a happy life. You could live out your years in peace. If you just had this little altar or this statue. Have you ever felt that? Obviously, it's simple enough to, to know and believe that God will provide for all of our needs when we look around and we don't have enough hands to count the blessings. It's simple enough to provide, to know that God will provide for all of our needs when we can't even count the number of ways in which God provides for you and for me. When the refrigerator is full and nobody is worried about where supper is coming from to say nothing of breakfast tomorrow morning. But it's a different thing entirely when just a little bit of a concession just dial it back a little bit would make your life so much easier to think, I need to watch out for myself. All it takes is, you know what, my coworker, um, I got a little bit of dirt on him and I can make him look like a fool and then maybe I'll get the promotion or at least this next job. That all it takes is a little bit of um, eraser mark and change a digit on my 1040. And that will change the whole calculation. And all it takes is a little bit of a fudging the numbers, and I can justify it, and the IRS won't catch it anyway. Not a big deal. Besides, our government can just print whatever money they want. They don't need the the pennies that I give them, but it'll make a huge difference in my life. All it takes is, um, you know what? My neighbors are correct. I do want my kids to have friends. And all of their friends are doing all the traveling teams all summer. And it's a good thing. You know, you want your kids to be in sports. And you want your kids to have a good life and to be successful. There's that word again. You want your kids to be successful. And it takes friends. And it takes all these activities that the kids should be in. And Sunday morning doesn't fit because that's when soccer tournaments start. Also true. And you see the temptation. It's simple to trust God when all the blessings line up visibly. And it's a challenge when you're sitting by the brook that has dried up and the ravens are late. But for the most part, we live in the middle. And if I just quiet my Christianity a little bit, I don't speak up, I don't learn something so that I can explain it better to my friend who has questions, I just keep it to myself a little bit and talk a little bit less about this Jesus and just talk generally. You know, I go to church because church is a good thing and church attendance is associated with longer longevity. Um, And it's a community of people and it's nice to be part of something bigger than myself. All the things, all the nice things that people say about church instead of 
I go to church because I have a Jesus who died and rose from the dead for me. And it would be so simple to just sit there in the middle that I've got the blessings that I can count and I need a few more hands to count them all. But my life would be that much easier if I just back down a little bit, quiet down a little bit, maybe fudge the numbers a little bit, and nobody's going to know. And what does Elijah do? As he's sitting by the brook, he says, I don't see it. I don't see how God's going to give me the water I need. I don't see when the ravens are going to show up with the food that I need, and I hope it's better than yesterday. And by all visible appearances, that's the bottom line, right? That we try to judge God's goodness on the basis of what we see. And we are spineless enough, or flexible enough, we'll call it, flexible enough that if we don't see the blessings we want, we'll bend the rules just enough until we're comfortable. And in answer to all of that, we have our second reading from Ephesians 3, or Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 3, where we realize from Elijah and his example and from the account of the feeding of the 35 to 50,000 that God can provide whatever you need for body and life. Then Paul pulls the curtain back a little bit and says, you know what, when you're counting your blessings from your Lord and you're counting up all the things that you can see and taste and touch and handle, um, there's an entire, entire list of things that you can never see or touch that has to be revealed to you by God. An entire list of things that you and I wouldn't know about except for the fact that God tells us here in Ephesians 1. Paul pulls back the curtain and says, Dear Christian, are you worried about your meal tomorrow? God had in mind your life before he even said, Let there be. Dear Christian, are you worried about um, how much longer this uh, social security check and how many more uh, meals is it going to cover? God had you in mind to provide for you before he said, let there be. Dear Christian, are you worried about the guilty conscience that you still carry? God had in mind to have his son become a human just like you, to carry your sin in mind, even before he said, let there be. Let there be light. Let there be sun, moon, and stars. Are you worried about um, what the, the end of your days is going to look like? That God had those days all marked out for you and planned out in his mind before he said, let there be. Are you worried about um, the relationship that you have or the relationship that you wish you had? Are you worried about the fact that your God will continue to provide for you even when you can't count it all up and it looks like the blessings are counting down on your hand? And are you worried about that? Paul says, God had in mind to provide for you for each day of your life. And even greater than that, that this God, as we said, 
He who did not spare his own son, but graciously gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? That it's utterly preposterous to think or to act as though God does not provide and I need to fudge the numbers or, or be flexible and bend the rules just a little bit so that I have what I need. It's foolish to think that all I need to do is show up at the civic celebration of Baal and that'll make my life easy. It's foolish to think all I need to do is fill in the blank and it'll make my life easier. I'll turn down my Christianity. It's foolish to think that we need to provide for ourselves when your God became a human and went through hell, quite literally. He was forsaken on that cross. He was buried in the tomb. He rose from that tomb, raised himself from the dead to guarantee your forgiveness. That's how much your God loves you. That he carried your sin in mind. And that he walked out of the tomb to say, Dear Christian, do you see, is it, is it possible that you would worry about death? Your Jesus has broken the power of death. It is, po- is it possible that you would worry about anything else? Your Jesus provided food for his prophet and supported that prophet's confession. Is it possible that you would worry about anything in this life or in the life to come? Your Jesus has had you in mind has had in mind to become a human. If only for you, then it would have been enough that he would do it for you. And the bottom line, there sits Elijah, exiled from his neighbors, watching the creek dry up. And by his example, we see that, yes, the truth is that God will provide what you need. Period. The second truth, the greater truth, is that God already has provided all that you need. Forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. The promise of hope and a future with him. And so even when it looks like the first truth isn't holding true, even when it looks like the creek is drying up to nothing, the second truth is proof that the first holds true. The reality that this Jesus died and rose for you is proof that God cares for you today, tomorrow, and forever. You can think of it this way. About three and a half years ago, when all the world shut down and we learned terms like supply chain and logistics, um, we had just had, well, yeah, we had just had a baby. And I was sitting in the chair getting him back to sleep after he was eating. And I was reading on my phone so that I wouldn't fall asleep. Um, Because it's much more comfortable to not sleep in a chair and wake up with a crick in your neck. So I was reading on my phone all this analysis on supply chain and logistics. And then I, you know, got him to bed and then I laid down. And staring at the ceiling at three in the morning and thinking to myself, huh, we normally go shopping, but... Meyer is going to be totally packed with panicked people. And so I got up at 3 in the morning and went grocery shopping, and it was the most surreal experience that I've had during our time here. I walked in, and you know, it was fairly quiet, because back when Meyer was 24 hours, you know, shopping in the middle of the night is fairly quiet. And I, but I walk in, and, and 
the veggies are mostly there. They're looking a little bit wilted. The frozen aisles are empty. The next aisle, you go get to like chips. Those are fairly decimated. What I was looking for was, you know, your pantry staples, some pasta and some canned goods. And I look and it's like, there's a couple of things on the floor. And if I look, there's you know, a couple of things at the back of the shelf. And if I want the knockoff of the knockoff of the generic, then I can have that kind of tomato sauce. Like, whoa. Maybe you've had that experience, or maybe yours was different. It's easy to trust God when you know where your next meal is coming from, when the pantry is full, when the bills are all paid, and there's extra left over. It's another thing entirely when you're sitting by the brook and it looks like it's drying up and the ravens are late. But for the most part, we live in the middle where the greatest temptation is to dial back the Christianity just a little bit so that my life is easier. But the truth that ties them all together, number one, your God provides for you. Number two, your God has provided for your eternity. Amen.